ever see the Idiot Guides books? We go to a bookstore. I titled this one The Idiot's Guide to Right Living, and here's why. There are a series of, of books, Idiot's Guide to, and, there, and there's everything. If you go to Amazon, there are hundreds of pages of this stuff. And some of them are, are really bad. There's The Idiot's Guide to Paganism, Humanism, Wicca. Um, yeah, don't, don't read those. But there's also The Idiot's Guide to Crochet, Statistics, Music Theory, Government and Politics, The Bible. That's where I learned all of my... I never read that one. Uh, RVing, golf, beekeeping, playing the harmonica, and my favorite I saw was positive dog training. I could probably use to read that one because I tend not to go with the positive building the esteem approach of the dog. It's a lock them in the cage till they obey. But what we see here in 1 Corinthians today, we're going to look at the idiot's guide to avoiding, avoiding division in the fellowship of the body of believers, and that is way too long of a title for a sermon. So I call this the idiot's guide to right living. I got to tell you, you're going to get nothing new today. We're just going to have a summary recap of what we've seen over the past month. So I want you to just kind of zone out, tune out, and I'll just go through this because God clearly made a mistake in, in how he edited his word such that he put in this unnecessary summary, right? Well, I'm going to go with the bent that God knew exactly what he was doing, and it would be the epitome of, of idiocy for me to edit out God's word for what I think is more preachable so we're going to look at this section of summary. And in it, we're going to look at four truths that when we understand them, when the Corinthian church understood them, would root out the error of division, and they also have massive applications to other areas of life. So there are more than four, but, but we're going to look at the four, and let's recap where we're going. A month and a half, two months ago, as we started 1 Corinthians, you remember, the first nine verses, Paul was just wonderfully, um, lovingly, gracious and kind to the church of God at Corinth. He calls them brothers, brothers and sisters, if you like. He reminds them of the grace they received in Christ. He comes to a church riddled with error, not to beat them over the head, right? That, that's my approach. If, if you've done something wrong and, and, I, and I'm in charge in my home, you know, it's, you, you do it like positive dog training. Get in the cage until you're fixed. Well, Paul doesn't come like that. He comes in love to try to wow the people with God's love, grace, and mercy so that they will desire to walk in greater obedience. And then from chapter 1, verse 10, all the way through chapter 16, I believe, verse 14, Paul is just unpacking errors that had permeated and riddled the church of God at Corinth. This is one screwed up church. I mean, when you've got 16 chapters of stuff you're doing wrong and you're only a few years into this, that's an issue. Well, the first error that we've been looking at is the, the errors, that errors that come from division. And we've looked at things like the exaltation of human wisdom versus the exaltation and the exaltation of human leaders, true wisdom, false wisdom, meat eaters, milk drinkers, man worship, God worship, and where we should receive, seek to receive our rewards and accolades. That's what we've been looking at over the previous weeks. And each of those contributed to the errors of division that had created problems in the church. And Paul's beginning to unpack how to correct this and the need to correct it for the glory of God, the good of the church, and the, the sake of the lost around them. So now we get to this, this summary piece, which is going from chapter 3, verse 18, to verse 23. Very small section, but, but in, incredible truths unpacked here. Uh, I hope to... Um, annoy you, irritate you, scare you, and then wrap it all up by massively encouraging you. And if, if I've done that, I've done my job. Let no one deceive himself. I'm in verse 18. 
If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Now you may be thinking, how is he going to take just that and preach from that? Watch, watch what's going on here. First one, you're going to love this part. Know who you really are. 18 to 21. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Do you know who you are? Fools. Idiots. You know that? How does that make you feel when I say, you're all fools? You're like, yeah, praise God, right? Well, if you go to 4.10, notice Paul refers to himself as a fool for Christ's sake. So Paul's not coming into this church of God in Corinth going, you idiotic fools! He's saying we're all fools. And until we recognize we're fools, we're never going to have any wisdom. Jesus calls us sheep. I think this came up two weeks ago, maybe last week. I have, I have, I have a thing with sheep. Too much time in scripture. We don't want to be sheep. We want to be lions or shark week on Discovery Channel. I want to be a great white shark. They're tough and ferocious. They've got big teeth. They swim by themselves and they kill anything that gets in their way. I, I like that. But no, I, I'm a sheep. Do you know what sheep are? They're, they're, they're dumb animals, right? They, they, they got gas problems when they flip upside down. We talked about that, right? They, you know what you call a sheep all by itself? You call it dinner. You can find them at the grocery store. Sheep aren't designed to live by themselves. They're designed to live with other sheep. And if you watch sheep by themselves, do you know what they do? They bite each other. They're nasty to each other. They can't get along. They're covered in feces, and they bite each other, and they smell, and they got gas issues. And Jesus calls us sheep, right? He's also the lamb who went to the slaughter. He became a sheep like we are. Now you start to think about that. You think, what is going on with this? Why would Jesus, would you go from, from way up there in perfection and become a dirty, nasty sheep? He took the filth of all us sheep upon himself, too. It gets a little crazy here, but we're sheep. We don't want to be sheep because we're riddled with sin. Adam and Eve were clean sheep. God said, don't eat that. And they said, bite. And they bit that. And they became dirty, messed up sheep. And we've inherited that ever since. But we don't like it because we have that sin in us. So I've decided I'm going to be Leviathan. Jesus says, follow me, strong, powerful Leviathan. And I will show you where you want to go. That's, that's how I want to read scripture. It's not what he says, though. He says, we're sheep. We're weak, pathetic, dumb, and unable to care for ourselves. I'm just, I'm just summarizing scripture. We think we're lions. And we want to live independently. How often do we do that? We, we determine that we're better off on our own, doing things how we think they should be done in the time we want them to do, and we're not going to wait on anything God has to say. In fact, we don't even need to hear what he says because we know. So we pray things like, God, I, I pray you will bless this, this um, really horrendous venture that I'm starting, that, that, you will just, uh, that you will just make it a financial robust success. Uh, for my glory and yours too on the side, right? He says, you're a sheep. The first thing you need to do to avoid division in the church is recognize you're a fool. But we think we're wise. This is a problem the Corinthians had, right? They think they knew better. Anyone here have that problem? Anyone here think they know better than God? If your hand's not up, you're a blind fool because we all think we do. God gives us his, he started with these 10 suggestions that Moses took down off of the mountain, right? You know what I'm talking about? 
God, God gave 10 suggestions that if we wanted to try out, we could, and if we didn't feel like they worked. No, they weren't. They were all oh, commandments. And throughout Scripture, we have the moral law, the ethical law. And there's a ceremonial law, which is irrelevant after Christ. That's why we could eat, you know, cheeseburgers. That's okay for us. But you still can't break the, the, the moral and ethical law. They're not suggestions. They're commandments. So when God tells us to do something and we don't do it, do you know what we're doing? We're sheep walking around pretending to roar. We think we're all strong. We know better than God. What Paul's saying, the first thing to recognize is you are an utter, complete, and total fool. We'll get to the second point too and you'll see it applies to everybody. That's the first thing you and I need to realize. It's also the upside down scripture approach. You need to lose your life so that you might find it, right? When you are weak, then you are. You have to become a fool that you might become. We kind of live upside down, don't we? And Jesus came to turn upside down, right side up. But we're still a little bit disoriented in this world because we're still recovering sin addicts. So we still want to go back upside down. The first thing to recognize for all of us is that we are fools. So when it comes to how we do what we do and why we do it, we have two options. We have human wisdom or God's wisdom, don't we? Now, as a pastor, I would, I would love to bring in some of the literature I get about conferences that take place and, and books on church growth. And there are all these wonderful proven business models to make a church grow. But then I read Acts and I'm like, these churches were, were horrendous failures. Do, do you know how the church of Acts functioned powerfully? They, they had beautiful buildings that, that just drew people in. And they had phenomenal singers, and people loved the music in the early church of Acts, right? And, and they had all of this stuff going on, and it was super exciting, and people were just falling head over heels. No, no, they were actually getting stuck on stakes and lit on fire and heads chopped up. Well, oh, they had these weird things called prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit, humility, sacrifice, and service. Now, in the eyes of man, that doesn't work. You ever try to run a business off of those things? Now, you actually can do it, and there's a big difference between a, a business in the corporate sector and a church. They, they run very differently. They, they have different motives, but the Holy Spirit still, still controls and guides both. But understand this, that the Corinthian church's problem was people aren't receiving the gospel. People don't like the gospel. It sounds, it sounds like folly to them. We need to change it and spruce it up and spice it up to draw them in. Paul's saying, guys, knock this off. Then like, well, well, I go with Cephas, I go with Apollos, I go with Paul. Paul. Stop, stop, stop. We're going to get to that part in a minute. He says, let's start at the basics. You are fools. There's no such thing as human wisdom. You don't know what you're doing. You cannot make decisions when it comes to matters of ultimate significance. And you and I need to remember that. Do you want to know what's best for you? God loves you so much that he told you. Do you want, do you ever feel worn out? That, like you just need to relax, unwind. Anyone here ever get stressed out? wound up, lose your temper, snap, you know, don't we all? Do you know what the solution is? It's not TV. It's the iPad. Praise God that Apple made the iPad so that, no. You know, you know how you unwind, relax, quiet your mind? Well, you follow God's plan. It doesn't feel real good, does it? Well, so as Christians, though, we go to this, I'm not going to get this a tangent. We're going to pull back in a second. But God gives us this concept of a Sabbath rest, Right? Now, because we're Christians, we're saved by grace through faith, we don't have to keep a Sabbath. You do know that. Legal, legalism goes with Christ. You don't have to keep a Sabbath. So what we do is we show up at church for a couple hours, and then we get back to the to-do list. 
Well, might there be some merit into taking a day of rest as God calls us to? Well, I don't know. That's just kind of hard in our culture, isn't it? See, we need to slow down and look at God's plan for our lives. And as we walk in obedience to him day in and day out, then we find not that we don't have trouble, but that we begin to have the joy he promises us. To do that, though, it starts with understanding how weak you are, how foolish you are. Now, look at this. This this I love. Paul's an apostle. He's writing here not his opinion. He's writing here the word of God through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Right? But look what he does here after he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Then he says, For it is written. You know what he's doing? He's saying, Don't just take my word for it. You could because I, I'm speaking God's word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul can do that. I can't do that. I don't speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Whatever I'm saying either matches up with scripture and it's true or it's my opinion and you might as well just get rid of it real quick. But Paul says, let me help you out. And he quotes Job 5.13 and Psalm 94.11. He quotes here Job 5.13 first. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And then Psalm 94.11, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they're futile. You want to see something kind of neat? Flip over to Psalm 94.11. And look look at what Paul's doing here. You can't do this because you don't speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Paul can't. Psalm 94.11 says, The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Right? See that? Thoughts of man. Paul says, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. See what he's doing there? He's driving home a point off of that psalm. He's He's unpacking it. He's reminding them, You're all fools! Don't do that on your own tweak in Scripture. Paul can but I love how he drives home his point. You'll see everything the Holy Spirit communicates through Paul is simply coloring in the outline of Scripture. That's very much what the New Testament is. The Old Testament gives you the outline. The New Testament colors it in and brings it to fullness of life. It's just unpacking in fuller measure, like the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't change the Ten Commandments, does he? He shows you the fullness of the Ten Commandments all throughout Scripture. Old Testament points forward to the coming of Christ, and the New Testament unpacks the fullness of Christ. And in fullness, we get to see how foolish we are and how wise God is. The next one, verse 21, the beginning of it. So let no one boast in men. He's saying, you're fools, and I'm a fool. He says, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. He's saying, as we get into this, the people who lead the churches, the pastors, do you know what I am? I'm a fool just like you. Isn't that so wonderful? See, usually it's portrayed that, that we pastors, see, we're, we're a little bit on a higher level spiritually. I guess I have to go to the Catholic Church to do that. Do you know when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Monsignor? I didn't know what it meant, but they had cool clothes. Well, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to do that. Hopefully, God, God, please. But the difference between you and me, do you know what it is? There is none. We're both fools. We're entrusted with certain gifts from God. We have different callings on our lives. But I'm just a fool speaking of fools so we can foolishly walk together in the wisdom of God. So Paul's saying, don't worship people. Now, we live in a culture where we like to worship people. A TV show, I've never actually watched this for more than a couple minutes, but I know all about it somehow. American Idol. What a completely appropriate title for a show. There are these people who sing, and then like one of them becomes the best singer in the entire world, or America, they're synonymous, right? And then we as a culture want to buy all of their music, and we, we worship them. Don't we worship our celebrities? 
I was up at the Little League World Series on a Friday, and there's this, this little girl, Monet Davis, the, the pitcher for Pennsylvania. She's a girl who pitches, and phenomenal. And, and I think that's great, but it's, when she walks by, she actually, they have police that surround her because people get in like this frenzy because they're around greatness, you know? They're, they're, when you see a, a famous person come by, you ever see, Aah! people get all like all worked up, you guys don't do that too? We like to worship people. We have an innate desire to worship. That's how God made us. We just tend to worship the wrong things. Well, in this church of God of Corinth, people were worshiping pastors. Paul saying, knock, knock it off. We're busboys. We're servants. We're fools just like you. That goes to 4.10. Interesting thing here. I hear often from people about their, their, their favorite pastor. You know, we live in a time where, where you can access pretty much anybody around the world and listen to their sermons. That's good and that's bad. That's good because if you find a good one, enjoy it. I listen to numerous pastors out there. Great books out there. I, I've, I've learned much and I trust the Holy Spirit to use some of that knowledge to mature me in my faith through other people. Some of them are even dead a long time. Uh, but, but their sermons are, are recorded in books. But sometimes I hear people tell me about, oh, I love such and such. And I'm like, What? You know, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Those people that, that, that they hold these things, but I don't think they've ever read it and they're certainly not preaching from it, right? Notice throughout Scripture, Paul is saying, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, none of them are unbiblical teachers, you know? No, no one's saying, I don't want to say names, but there are some out there, if you don't know them, go to the local Christian bookstore and look on the bestseller shelf and two out of three will be them, right? Read closely, you'll see they get a little bit outside of the scope of Scripture, Paul's, Paul has a, and you'll see throughout scripture, there's an underlying assumption that when you refer to a pastor or a teacher or an elder, you're dealing with someone who meets a biblical qualification. Paul, Cephas, Apollos, they were all teaching the same truth. Now, they had different personalities, different oratorical skills, different backgrounds. Cephas had a Jewish background. Paul had a hyper-Jewish background. Cephas used to fish, too. He was a man's man. Paul was an acomodematician. As you can see, I'm not one of those because that's not a real world. Apollos was one of the greatest preachers of all time we read in church history. And people were dividing over these guys. Oh, I like him. Oh, I love him. Oh, I'm going with him. Oh, I'm one of his. Paul says, back it off. You see, across the board, from someone who preaches to someone who plays sports to someone who sings, the abilities that we have are God-given for his glory. So if you are a, a... we had this conversation on the way home Friday. Cameron says to me, is it bad to be a celebrity? I said, no, it's not bad to be a celebrity. The issue is how you handle your your celebrity. He says, well, what if I was was playing in the League World Series next year and I was really good and people were all excited to follow me? Is that bad? I said, no, it's not bad. It's how you handle that. I said, here's the deal. If you pitch a beautiful game like this girl Monet Davis did and she handles herself so well, in front of the camera, it's impressive. But let's say that, that you go through it and they sit down and they say, wow, you did a great job. See, there's fake humility. Oh, uh, just praise God, you know. Uh, then there's genuine humility. I did a phenomenal job, didn't I? I pitched an incredible game, but you know that has nothing to do with me. God just gave me that ability. I don't really know why yet. I'm just a kid. I, I hope to find out. I hope I can use it for his glory. So all I can say right now is, yeah, I did really good, and I thank you for saying so, but really God gets a credit because it's his ability he entrusted to me. I just don't know what he wants me to do with it yet. Do you see the difference there? So as an adult, 
as a pastor, no matter what you do, if you have a phenomenal singing voice, praise God for the voice. If you listen to someone with a beautiful voice, praise God for the voice. If there's a Bible teacher that impacts you well and helps you mature, praise God, not for the person, but for the giftedness he's entrusted to them. That's what Paul is saying. Y'all are just fools, he says. I'm a fool too, and together we walk along. You see that? Can I scare you from Scripture a little bit here? This is a... We've kind of lost, the Corinthian church had an understanding of it, the role of a pastor in the church. Do you know what my, one of my primary roles as your pastor is? Just to preach and shut your mouth and get out of here. Well, yeah, there's a teaching aspect. But flip over to Hebrews 13. And you get a glimpse of, of what Paul's talking about here. Hebrews 13. And then work your way down to verse 17. Ready for this? This doesn't sell well in the American church, so just don't feel this urge to run out right away. Just discreetly go at the end. You ready? He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. Do you, do you hear that? I don't like this verse. Kirsten looks like she's leaving. Hang on. I'm messing with you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. So as a pastor, Paul's saying that you need to be submitting to the pastors and leaders in your church. But then look at that next verse. This is why you don't want to be a pastor. As those who have to give an account. That means if I speak lies to you, or if I'm manipulative or, or deceitful, that one day I have to sit down with God. We have to have the interaction. You know what I am? I'm like the older sibling entrusted with watching the other kids. You know, I, I remember when my parents would go out when I was older and I would watch my sister. It wasn't like, I'm in charge. Get out of my way. Because daddy was coming back. You know, it was, we, we, we got along real well because we were both going to give an account. I was, I was put in charge. And, and she was to do what I told her to. And if I stepped over that line of authority my dad had entrusted to me, I would have a conversation. They weren't really conversations. There was sign language involved. And I would give an account. Well, that is what I'm entrusted with as a pastor. And in order for you to properly submit to, isn't that such a horrible word to our ears? You need to, uh, you need to see someone in front of you who is just a fool walking in humble obedience to the truth of God. That's all I'm doing. I'm an under-shepherd. I say, here's God's truth. Follow my example for his glory, not mine. This fits into the context of a church. The wisdom from the world says that a pastor should be someone who has a proven track record of growth, who has a good understanding of business, who has a certain oratorical skill, who has influence and interactions, networking with the movers and shakers of society. If you don't believe me, I'll share with you some of these um, job opening things that get, get sent my way. They want five to ten years experience to see examples of churches taken from under 200 to 1,000 they want to see a certain degree in the background. They want to see a certain level of influence and all this stuff, okay? That's not good. Do you know what makes a, a good pastor in God's eyes? Faithfulness, not flashiness. My job, biblically, is to equip you so that you can go out and share the gospel with the lost. And then as you go out, as we live as a rescue mission at the gates of hell, as you go out and share the good news of Christ with the lost, then you can bring them in, and you know what we can do? We can love them, we disciple them, we equip them to go out and do the same thing. That stinks from where I sit. You know why? It's stinking slow. You know? 
And I've had people, we've had, we, we've had people leave here who have told me, and it wasn't just one, it's a lot more than one or so, you know. They said, Pastor, I just really am not into the sharing my faith stuff. I like doing good works, but, but I'm just not that into sharing my faith. The other option is I can go with the worldly approach, and I can guarantee you within six months we can pack the pews. It's really not that hard. I just hire some musicians. We, we paint out the place. We redecorate a little bit. We have a whole big, you know, fiesta atmosphere. and People will come in and pack the pews. So what? Do you, do you see where I'm going with there? That's human wisdom. I'm going to go with this, this seeming folly of God's wisdom. And you know what? People come to faith. As we do not grow weary of doing good, in due season we will reap. But that requires you to understand you're a fool. Me to remember that I'm a fool and mutually love each other as sheep who are going to bite each other at times because we love God because he first loved us. Do you see that? Paul's saying the first two steps to avoiding division. Know you're a fool and know the dude preaching up front is a fool. And it's only by grace through faith that you are what you are. We'll wrap it up with that. But whatever I say, must, must wash with the word of God. If I give you counsel, don't ask for my opinion. Make sure it's biblical truth. There are gray areas in life, are there not? But there aren't that many when we start to narrow it into the motives behind the decisions. And that's where wisdom and discernment often come from. 21b, the, the last part of verse 21. Know what you own. See, this is what happens when you pull your finger out of your text. There we go. It says here, For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, life, death, the present, or the future. He says, all things are yours. So, so what is yours? Everything. Now, now, he's not saying some things are yours. He's saying all things are yours. Speaking to the believers. All things are yours. If you flip over to, you don't have to flip. You just look over to 4.7. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So in, in some respects, nothing is yours but yet everything is yours. Everything you have is entrusted to you by God. When you look at your bank account, do you know what you're looking at? Your Heavenly Father's cash that he's entrusted to you. When you drive into your driveway, you see that house in front of you, you know who really owns the house? It's not you. When you have kids in your home, you know whose kids they are? They're not yours. It's a frightening proposition. God entrusts them to you for a period of time. If you can sing, you know whose voice you're singing with? The one he put in your gullet for his glory, not your own. All things are his. You receive them and you give an account for them, right? But in our, in our lion-like wisdom, we know what to do better than God's. No, we don't. At the same time, everything is yours. When I was growing up, say I was 10 years old, right? And if you said to me, oh, where's your house? I would give you my address and I'd take you to see my house. And like, dude, how does a 10-year-old afford a house like this, right? Like, that is impressive. How did you get all this money at the age of 10? They said, what kind of cars do you have? Come on through, I'll take you to the garage. And we'd open up the door and I'd show you the cars in the garage. Wow, at 10, how do you have all these cars? They say, can I have some food? I'll give you some of my food. I'll take you up to the kitchen. We'll open up the pantry and walk on in, whatever you want, right? Say, you want me to take you to my club and I'll drive them in one of my car? I can't actually drive, I'm 10. But I have someone drive us in one of my cars and we'll go to my club. I'm 10 years old, have I lied? No, that's my house, my food, my cars, and my club. It really was. But who really owned it? My dad and my mom. But to follow the illustration, it's all my dad's stuff. But because it's my dad's stuff and I'm my dad's kid, it's mine. How's a 10-year-old afford that? You don't. They know it's my dad's. I'm not lying, but it's still my house. See, when I turned 18, he said, get out. I don't even think I have a key to my parents' house anymore. 
Hopefully they're home when I get there. You know what? That's not right. You should have a key to it. Well, back on task. But the reality is, our Heavenly Father, what does He own? Cattle on a thousand hills. Everything. He made it all. He owns it all. So because we're His kids, because we're fellow heirs with Christ, do you know what we own? Everything. Do you know, look out there. Do you guys see those trees? Those are mine. You see that world? It's mine. You ever been over the oceans? I own them. I don't actually own them, but they're my daddy's. Do you see where I'm going here? So in one sense, nothing is yours. In the other sense, everything is yours through Christ. You ever think of that when you share the gospel? We're inviting people to be forgiven so that everything might become theirs. It's a little bit of the positive bent to evangelism. No, you're a sinner. You can do nothing good apart from Christ. You are corrupted through and through by pride and, and ignorance and suppression of the truth. So you live for your glory, not his, and the wages of sin is death. So you stand condemned for all of eternity. That's, that's truth. That's the bad news that leads to the good news. What's the good news? God loves you so much that he made a way that you don't have to be condemned, but so that everything can be yours, and that's not even the best news. The best news is that you can have eternal life. What's eternal life? It's not that you live forever. Everybody does that. Eternal life is that they know you, the only God. We are able to know God and live in a relationship with him, and everything becomes ours. See, if my dad wanted to adopt, he could adopt a child that had no home and bring them into all that the world has to offer. You ever see the Annie, the, the, the play Annie, right? This little, this little girl went from having nothing to Daddy Warbucks took her in and she had everything. Well, do you know what God did? He took us from way worse and made it way better. And Paul says, you guys, you need to remember this. Quit bickering, quit fighting, quit dividing. Don't put yourself in camps of Paul and Cephas and Apollos. Every one of God's teachers is yours. Don't identify with one. They're all yours. They're all for your glory. Romans 8, 28. All things work together, right? What works together? All things. You know why? Because it's all his, so it's all yours. Do you see that? So he says, don't, don't divide over pastors. Listen, listen to all the good ones you can get, but don't identify with a pastor. Identify with the Savior. Do you see that? Because the pastors are just fools. We're busboys carrying living water, right? And the bread of life, and we're just serving it up because that's what God called us to. By grace through faith, that's all. But then look what he keeps going here. It says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, you see what we were just saying there? He made the whole thing. Or life. Don't we have eternal life through Christ? Here's the best one. Or death. Everybody, you guys got your own death. You like that? What is that? Well, you do. You know why? You have victory over death through Christ. End of 1 Corinthians. No more sting. Why? You own it. It's dead. Do you see where he's going here? This is crazy. The present, the future, all are yours. Well, when you, we quit looking at stuff and wanting to claim, you know, those, when you're about two years old, you learn the word, my, 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 that, 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 my, mine, mine. Not necessarily in that order. And then the mine, 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 we, we never quite get rid of. You know, I don't call her mama, mama. That'd be really awkward. But I'm good with it as mine. This is mine. That, that's mine. Mine, we, we just, we don't say it like little kids, but right? And we try to be nice sometimes. I've never understood this. We have friends, and, and they're often trying to teach their... See, you, nobody laughed when I said we have friends? <laughs> Thank you. And they try to teach their kids to share. I've never understood this concept of sharing because I always push back a little bit. So I'll say to the parent, can I borrow your car? And they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, well, why not? Don't you want to share your stuff? So my kids don't share. If you ever mean it, I just mind my mind. 
Paul's saying, stop with the mind, 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 because it's really his, his, his. Right? We're, we're not called to, to necessarily live in a, a communal bucket where, you know, throw your car keys in, whoever grabs the first car out wins, because you know we're all going for the best car with the most gas at the end of the service. There's an aspect of ownership and responsibility to what God's entrusted to us, but understand it's just entrusted to us. It's just stuff. He owns it. But you've got to get this last part in to properly understand. Know who you are. What are you? You're a fool. Know who, who's, who people are so you don't worship them. Know what you own. Actually, nothing and everything. And then this last one, know who owns you. This is the most important part of this whole section. This is the, the climax of the summary. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. The Corinthians had forgotten who they were, how they had become that, and what that meant. You see that flowing throughout this whole section from 110 up to this point. They had forgotten how they came to faith, what it means that they're believers, and how they're to live in, in light of that truth in the world. Do you see that? Guys, it's often difficult for us to understand how we became followers of Christ. It wasn't an intellectual exercise. From my, from my perspective, when I first came to faith, I had a lot of intellectual barriers, right? But the intellectual barriers didn't be, weren't overcome so that I became a Christian. It was more like clutter on the driveway that let me get to the garage of the gospel, right? So God chose to use people to move that intellectual clutter out of my way. Well, you can't really believe that, that God's knowable and the Bible's true. Well, actually, you can, but it sounds awkward when people tell you, you know, well, the Bible's true. Well, why? Because it is. Well, I need a little bit more than that, right? You really believe that, that by one person all people can be saved? Well, absolutely. Well, that's just foolishness. Well, see, I needed someone to help me through the intellectual junk so I, I would hear the Word of God and not just refute it and suppress it. But the way I became a Christian wasn't by my intellectual ability because you know what I am? <laughs> I'm a fool. The way I came to faith was a miraculous work of being born anew where God opened my eyes to the truth. How did he do that? Somewhere along the line, I heard the gospel. And I had ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive. We saw that a couple weeks ago, right? And I came to saving faith. And as I matured, as you mature, we realized how bad we were and how great life is in Christ. You see that? I, when I first came to faith, I didn't think I was that bad. I, I knew... I knew that I was separated from God by sin at a bare minimum on a technicality. I did not keep his law. I know he demanded perfection, but I didn't get my stink fully as I should have when I came to faith. You know what I'm saying? But as I mature, I feel like, well, sometimes I feel like I'm worse now than I used to be. Anyone else ever feel that way? The outward sin, those go away a little bit. You know, those are the quick ones that go away. I don't, you don't run around and your language changes. You know, I remember after college, one of the big things college helped me out with was, was a, profanity flowing more naturally. I remember after my freshman year of college, I stubbed my toe and I just dropped a bad word like no one's business. And my mom looked at me and I was like, oh, I didn't even know where that came from. Well, after I came to faith and then I marinated in it in the business world for a while and just flowed naturally. And, and God should have struck me down so many times along the way as I blasphemed his name and, and used this language that was not acceptable anywhere. But that goes away quickly. But then the stuff on the inside, you become more noticeable. You, know, you, you see all the idols in your heart. You see the pride at work and stuff. And you realize, oh my gosh, I don't deserve this. And it's by grace through faith alone that I came to saving faith. The Corinthians forgot. They thought, well, we can save people by clever intellectual arguments and fun and gimmicks and games. That's human wisdom, right? That's not God's truth. How do you save people? By the gospel. Live such good lives, right? Honorable lives. That was midweek thought. Share the gospel. Pray for people. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And people come to believe. All of them, not all of them, some of them. But that's all we can do in his time, not our time. Right? The Corinthians had forgotten this because they had forgotten how they came to faith. They also forgot who God is. He owns it all. The church didn't exist to serve them. They existed to serve the church. Do you see that? And Paul says to him at the very end here, you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Guys, understand who owns you. Being a Christian isn't about so much us identifying with Jesus. It's about Jesus choosing to identify with us as our friends, as fellow heirs. Do you see that? As Christians, what are you? You're a chosen race, a royal nation, a holy priesthood, a people of his own possession. Do you, do you see what we are? We're duroses. We're, we're slaves. Slaves don't say, the master doesn't say to the slave, do this. And the slave says, nah, not today, maybe tomorrow. No, but we're not just slaves, we're kids too. And God is so gracious that even though we tell him, nah, not today, he loves us enough that he'll come alongside us and discipline us so that we'll go and do what daddy told us to do and see that daddy knew best. Well, that's how we're to live our whole lives. So to avoid division in the church, to avoid division in all of life, and to, to get rid of a whole of a lot of other issues that come from it, think about this if you approach life this way. Recognize you're an utter and complete fool. Don't we like to, to talk about ourselves? You ever sit and listen in on a conversation? Just listen to people. Do you know what they talk about? themselves the whole time i do too when i talk so sometimes i stop and i pay attention they just talk about themselves and they share advice incessantly do you, do you ever if you if you listen to a conversation i holiday I, I should have you all come and join us at the holidays you just sit down there and i'll just sit and listen i laura looks at me she's like john would you talk like i can't i i don't even i don't know what to say at this point but people are like the one I can think of, and this isn't related to the holidays, one person in particular. James says, be, be quick to speak and hardly listen. Right? I like that. That's how, that's how I live. He says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. I've heard it said, there's a reason the good Lord gave you two ears and one mouth. That's not in scripture, but I think there's truth in that. Well, there's this one guy I'm thinking of, completely unteachable spirit. This guy has advice on everything, and I mean... I mean, he will tell you a better way to flush the toilet. I'm like, dude, I think I got the flush down, but, but if you have a better way, you can go ahead and tell me the better way to flush the toilet. Well, this guy, I'm not even sure if he's a believer or not. He, he's, he's a solid milk drinker at best. But he will often sit down and give me, give me advice, biblical, as he calls it, biblical advice on how to successfully pastor a church. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, he's telling me this stuff. I'm like, where do you get that from? He's like, well, I just know he's a very successful businessman. Very successful businessman. So I have very good business sense and I know people. I was like, okay. But, but is that in scripture? Like, I, I think so. And I'll say, no, actually it's not. And, and I'll show him and I'll be like, it actually runs completely contrary. Well, well that's your interpret. The dude has not a teachable spirit. But you know what? I don't like him so much because I'm a little bit too much like him at times. <laughs> we don't by nature come with a teachable spirit. Mind, 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 I know, I know, I know. I want to tell you about me and how much I know so that I can look impressive to you. That's human nature. I need to realize, we need to realize, you're just a fool who knows very little. And here's where you get your wisdom, right? We, we become wise when we realize we're a fool. And if you sit in a conversation and you start to share God's wisdom, well, people might not like what you hear, but some might come to believe. 
So think about it as you go out and live your life in the context of the church. And let me, pray, let me say it this way. I don't perceive that we're a church right now riddled with division, but I'm not stupid enough to think there aren't seeds that the evil one tries to plant to sprout up into, to bear some fruit of division. Okay? So we need to be attentive to that. Secondarily, as God brings others into our fellowship, as people come to faith and need a church home, or people have a faith and need a church home, we need to be aware of God's plan for how to grow as a church and not allow seeds of division to fester or take root. Do you see that? First thing is know you're a fool. Second thing is you interact with people, understand they're fools too. You know, don't expect so much from people. We're just dumb sheep. You know, don't, don't beat that. So this guy drives me crazy. And I don't often think, I don't often feel badly for him. Like, oh, here, here's either an extremely immature, weak brother or, or a lost soul. I'm just like, this is an idiot. <laughs> well, he's a fool, but he doesn't know it yet. Right? So as we interact with people, let's not, let's not bite. Let's understand. Let, let's give them grace because we receive grace. Do you see that? On top of that, let's keep our stuff in perspective. We, we all like to lock it up and keep it tight. Mine, mine, mine. Let's use it God's way. His, his, his. God will give us every good and perfect thing. We just don't, you know, here's, here's my line. Uh, finances were a struggle for me, especially early on. Coming out of the background I did, I grew up loving money. And if you think I'm kidding, I had posters of money in my room. I went, one of my favorite outings as a kid, we went to the U.S. Mint in Washington, D.C., and oh, I stood there and drooled. There's money, money's going by, money, money. Oh, I got a bag of chopped up money, and I, I carried that, sixth grade, I carried that sucker whole, I slept with it in my bed, I love money. Mm. What was I talking about? I just kind of lost focus here. The reality, though, is the more I tried to hang on to that and serve that, I could never be a servant of Christ. So you know what God graciously did? weren't gracious at the time, called me to go off to seminary. I think I was the only cat in the whole place, didn't qualify for financial aid. Woohoo! Do you know what that does? You get to watch those numbers go boom, 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 boom. And now all of a sudden, Laura and I found a, a bank statement from, from seminary. Woo! Well, ajita, it's a Jewish word. Looking at that bank statement, there was no savings account. There were no investments. It was $516. And I wasn't going to cover bills for the next month. And I don't know how I lived through that because I should have been like on the floor twitching and foaming at the mouth. But God graciously provided for all of our needs. And that was unique to me, I believe, because God wanted to say, it's mine. And if you want to hang on that tight, I'm going to take it from you because I love you that much. And, and little by little, he took away my love for money and replaced it with a love for him. You see that? We all have those little idols of stuff that we want to hang on to. It's my voice. It's my ability. It's my talent for my purposes. No, it's not. It's his for his glory. And he loves you so much that he's going to make sure you recognize it at some point. And if he doesn't seem to care, you might want to back up and see if you ever understood the gospel. Know you're a fool. Know other people are fools. Know that you own nothing, but yet you have everything. Access to everything as a fellow heir through Christ. And then know whose you are. Christ came not, not as some sort of good moral teacher to show us how to live, did he? Wouldn't it, could you imagine people telling me, that, I think Jesus is a good moral teacher. <laughs> you always ask, well, which of his teachings do you like the most? The one about no one comes to the Father except through me? I like that one, right? He's not a good moral teacher. He's a savior. He came to rescue a lost people. We didn't deserve it, right? We didn't, that's why it's called grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't merit it. We just offered the stink of sin. 
But he came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. So we might recognize we're foolish, but yet be able to become wise. Paul's point isn't you're fools and just accept it. No, he's saying you're fools, but accept it so you might become wise. And as you become wise, you realize the reality of whose you are and what that means. Fellow heirs with Christ, it's all yours. And we're called to go out and invite people into the family because daddy's still adopting. Do you see that? Do you see that? So when we leave here today, when we gather here on Sundays, when we get together during the week, fellow sheep, sometimes us pastor sheep, we bite. We're going to irritate you. If I irritate you, let's take the Matthew approach. Let me know. If I've stepped outside the scope of Scripture, if I've offered you my opinion based on my wisdom outside of God's Word, would you love me enough to correct me? Y'all bite too. I got bite wounds all over me as a pastor after a number of years. There are times when, when we pastors want to go up high and get a little distance because sheep smell and sheep bite. I love y'all dearly, but, but sometimes y'all, y'all are painful, folks. I'm painful too. But you know what? I've committed to you as your pastor. You can bite, bite, bite all you want, and by God's grace, I pray that I will continue to love you because he first loved me. I also want you to realize I'm not after your stuff, and I hope you're not after my stuff, okay? I hope that you don't just use me for my intellect, my in the smile. He, he's so smart. I'm actually, I'm actually not that smart. I'm really not. If I say anything intelligent, it's simply because I found it in the Word of God. You do realize that? I mean, I have, I have very few abilities. I, I'm athletic. I, I can throw a baseball really hard and hit one pretty good. God had other plans. I didn't play professional baseball. Well, I can probably get into the business world. And, well, I don't know if I could. It's been too long. So I'm hopeless. I got nothing left. But let's, let's look at each other as fellow fools, not to serve each other's selfish, self-focused needs, but to help one another glorify God. And you know why we do that? Because we are Christ's. If we remember those four things, we're in mighty good shape when it comes to living as we ought to live as a church. For the glory of God, for the joy of the saints, and for the sake of the lost. Let's pray. Father God, I just, uh, I am amazed anew each day that you love us. When Paul says, what a wretched man I am. I, I used to read that and think he was just kind of joking or he didn't really mean it, but he did. As he grew and matured in his faith, he realized how wretched he truly was in the flesh. And I pray that we would all understand that more fully so that we might more fully be wowed by your grace. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us of areas of sin in our lives, not to give us fear that we might not be Christians, but rather to allow us to confess them and remove them so we might have greater intimacy with you. I pray that we would truly be a church known for our love for one another, that the world would never see within us anything to do with division. And even as we grow in our interaction with the church Backton Hill that meets here as well, and with the, each an individual member that comprises that church. I pray that we might not allow division to interact with us, that we would love them as you call us to. Lord, I pray that we would accept the fact we're fools so we might be wise, and that we might love our fellow fools for your glory, not for ourselves to serve us, but rather to equip one another to serve you. Lord Jesus, you're not joking when you tell us that the world is ours, 
It's just a marvelous and unfathomable concept that you made it all, that you own it all, that we are fellow heirs with you, Lord Jesus. And I just think as a kid, as I showed people my stuff, which was really just what my daddy got for me and entrusted to me, that my heavenly Father, Lord God, that you are a perfect Father who made it all for your glory and even my good, for the good of your children. And I look forward to the day when you will make the new heavens and the new earth, when, Lord Jesus, you will bring us home, when we will receive our new bodies that don't ever ache or hurt, where we never have issues at family get-togethers. I just think of that marriage feast. Jesus, what must it be like for that family to get together? How large that table must be. How wonderful that meal will be. How wonderful to look into the eyes of people that perhaps annoyed us greatly in this world at times and be able to see them anew in sinless perfection as people created for your glory in your image, people who you love so dearly, even at the cost of the life of your very own son. Lord Jesus, I pray we remember each day anew that we are yours by grace through faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.